Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. If you're a fan of extreme sports and racing, you are not going to want to miss some of the upcoming interviews that Brian Deegan has lined up for his podcast, The Deegans. Brian is sitting down with his friends, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Ricky Carmichael, to talk about their careers and all things extreme. Be sure to subscribe on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and many other podcast apps. You can get your new episodes every single week. Finding a dress shirt that fits is hard. It's really hard. I don't think I've found one in a store. Collars are too tight. Sleeves are too long. It's just like there's no way it ever fits totally. But thankfully, people have innovated on the Internet, and Proper Cloth is here to fix that for you. They have a custom fit shirt that uses machine learning, things that we use every single day to learn about football, to learn your proper shirt size. And then they go make it for you and send it to you. It's super simple. You just go online, propercloth.com, fill out 10 questions, and you can answer some more if you are really particular. But the 10 questions work for me, and I'm pretty particular. So it should work for you. Propercloth makes it super easy to create the custom size, but then they also make it really simple for you to customize every aspect of the shirt. They've got like 30 different style points that you can tinker with. You can make like the left cuff bigger for your watch, whatever the heck it is, the kind of buttons, you name it, you can customize their proper cloth. And here's the kicker. It's not just some crappy fabric that they throw on there that fits right. It is a good fabric that's going to last for a long time. They go all around the world to find the best fabrics for you that meet their quality standards and they'll meet yours as well. Each one of their shirts goes through an extensive quality control testing you can be absolutely positive that the quality and the fit is going to be perfect for you. Proper Cloth's been featured in many top publications, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Esquire, GQ, Fast Company. GQ even calls them their new favorite online shirt maker. So here's, here's the deal. Go to propercloth.com slash PFF, enter gift code PFF20, PFF20, save $20 on your first shirt. It's super simple. They're affordable. They're awesome. Go to propercloth.com slash PFF. January 16th, it's championship week. Both of us are still alive. Hmm. I'm back in, in person, although I did really enjoy talking to you after, remote, remote. after waking up in Vegas. <laughs> it's like a song, isn't it? It is. Do you know who's by? Katy Perry. There you go. Look I at you. Yeah, I know. You're not someone that's up on music, given that your favorite band is White Snake. But uh, we've got a fun show here, so we're obviously going to talk about the championship games. But there are also a bunch of teams that are not still in the tournament. And they are looking forward to free agency and the draft. And so we're going to talk uh, top 10 free agents, do a little Joe Brady conversation. Nice. We're going to talk about the draft, the 2016 draft, and kind of what we can learn maybe from looking back Mm -hmm. on what might happen this year. And then we're going to get into uh, the championship games, look at whether you want to bet on futures, talk about each game, and then some of the potential Super Bowl matchups. Sound good? Mm -hmm. All right, let's start with this. Top 10 free agents. Does free agency get you excited? Uh, last year was a lot of fun. You know, it was our first living here and being part of it. And those three days of free agency were like bananas. It's a rush, yeah. yeah. Uh, I remember, yeah, I remember, you know, I grew up a Vikes fan. Uh, not really anymore, but I guess, but I, I, 
I remember being at the Mall of America with my wife in 2013, constantly refreshing my phone to see if they Viking signed Greg Jennings. And <laughs> that was uh, – and then I think like five years prior to that, it was just – refreshing my laptop to see if they signed Bernard Berrien. Uh, so there's, you know, it is a fun time. Um, but ultimately what you find out over the course of like, you know, being an NFL fan for 25 years is that the teams don't win in free agency. It's sort of like a fun time, but you know, like, Hey, look, the Arizona Cardinals got a great signing of Jordan Hicks. It's like, yeah, well, this was going to be my next question. Cause I think about free agency in the NBA as, wow, this is an opportunity to rebuild your team. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason it works in the NBA is you only have to have five players on, on the floor at a time. So signing one or two big players can make that big of a difference. Yeah. But in the NFL, you need, you know, 11. Uh, it's 11 on 11. So first off, one player isn't going to make that big of a difference. Yeah. But in particular, one player that isn't a quarterback isn't going to make that there big of a difference. There are never quarterbacks available in free agency. And right? they're just never available. So to me, NFL free agency is all about not losing, right? Like you, as long as you don't overspend and just kill yourself, then like you'll be mm-hmm. okay. But the worst thing you can do is overspend. So I think it'll be interesting to take a look at these top 10 free agents because I, a few of them are going to get overspent on, mm-hmm. right? Like there's no doubt about it. So let's do it. We're going to do a snake draft. Okay. You down with that? Yeah. That's what we did with the quarterbacks. Let's yep. do that again. So I will give you the first pick. What we're going to do here is we're going to take the free agent kind of agnostic of team that we would most want. Mm-hmm. And then if you have a team in mind, yep. you can put them on a team. Perfect. Okay. You're on the clock. The number one free agent selection for you in uh, 2020 is who? Uh, yeah. So, and I'm I'm firmly of the... I'm firmly of the belief that wide receiver is the most important non-quarterback position uh, on offense and corner is on defense. And so if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm a team with a quarterback, and generally I'll be one, right, then I think that I'm going to go, in this case, with Byron Jones of the Dallas Cowboys. Interesting. Interesting. So you're not going quarterback. Uh I, I'm I'm kind of assuming a normal situation Should where we exclude quarterbacks. Yeah, exclude okay. quarterbacks. Let's exclude quarterbacks, and then we can come back to the, the quarterbacks at the end. Because I would say, look, if you need a quarterback, Ryan Tannehill will be be up there. I think he's going to franchise tag. Um, Byron Jones, do you have a place you'd want him to go? Um, I think that's whew, that's a good one. Um, he should just stay in <laughs> he Dallas. Stay in Dallas, exactly. Yeah, right. That that's that's kind of. Um, no, I'm with you. That's a good one there. I'm with you firmly. Okay. Uh, at number two, I'm going to take Amari Cooper. I actually think Amari Cooper should be one. And the ideal place for Amari Cooper is Dallas as well. However, Ravens. if he has to go somewhere else, yeah, <laughs> I, the Ravens, the Patriots, a couple of places that I would love to see Amari Cooper go. And this is so interesting because the first two guys we talked about are Cowboys. Mm-hmm. So are they going to overspend for these guys? Are they going to try and be lean, yeah. you know, kind of cheap and, and, and not take one of them? Obviously, both of them are very good. It's be interesting. Number three, since we're doing a little snake draft here, I'm going to stick with um, wide receivers. I thought you were going to take Amari Cooper, um, in which case I would have I taken Byron Jones here. But I'm going to go with A.J. Green. Okay. And I would put A.J. Green ahead of Amari Cooper if it weren't for the injury concern. But because of the injury concern... 
I actually think it makes him potentially a little bit bigger of a, a bargain. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to give Amari Cooper, um, uh, you know, you would think a lot more of an investment. And this is the guy that I would love to see go to the Patriots because they're a little bit of an older team. And I think he would take, he would probably value the opportunity having lived in Cincinnati for his entire life or uh, pro career to compete for uh, a championship. Both of these guys offer a team the threat of the big play. They're not just good receivers in the intermediate. They're not just guys that can make plays after the catch, but both Amari and AJ Green can get downfield and you're seeing like Titans and Chiefs, right? What Mm -hmm. can they do? They can get downfield. Absolutely. So, and, and that's, and that's great. And, and I think when you look at sort of like receivers, and we look at defensive backs, there are types that matter, right? So Cooper, I think, is a good opportunity for the Ravens because, you know, because he's explosive and that offense wants to be explosive, but he can also sort of fill in that underneath role that they so lacked. Um, A.J. Green's another one where I think he can sort of do both, and that offense lacked a lot of explosiveness, but it also lacked a reliable big receiver uh, that can get open underneath. So that's a, a good pick. Well, that's why. That's what I would rather go, go Amari to the Ravens and – um, and A.J. Green to the Patriots. Because what the Patriots really missed was that deep speed. And yep. if A.J. Green's healthy, that's what he provides. Okay, you're, uh, you're up twice. Okay. Um, all right, let me um, look at... I, I'm going to stick in the defensive backfield here. I'm going to uh-huh. go... Uh, because of age, and also I think... Um, the ability to sort of do a bunch of things. I'm going to go with Anthony Harris. I like it. Safety I think Anthony likes. Harris. So I talked about, yeah, I'm talking about safeties the other day with, with Solomon Wilcox. And it was like this idea of like safeties are great because the bust factor is so much lower than, than other positions. Cause if a guy is a pretty good deep, you know, deep safety and, you know, and he can sort of like, you know, play, you know, he play that role, right? And Trey Boston's played that role for a long time. If you're Tyron Matthew, he, his initial plan was to be a deep safety in, in Kansas city, but then there were injuries to the slot corner position. He's been playing sort of both up front and in back. Um, you know, that's been a, you know, there's just so many ways you can go right with a safety and, and relatively few ways you can go wrong. Um, so that, that I like that one. And you want him to stay in Minnesota, obviously. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he should. I, I honestly think, and like Vikings fans might give me flack for this, but I think if you're a Vikings fan and you have to choose between the two, I think you keep Harris. And, you know, Harris, you allow Harrison Smith's um, reputation to garner trade value on the open market um, because that team doesn't have any corners going into next year and they need them. So uh, Harris should stay with Minnesota, but, you know, they don't have any cap room. It's going to be interesting. That team could go a lot of different ways. But, uh, yeah. uh, very interesting. Okay. Uh, you are up again. Yeah. And then it's Chris Harris, right? And Chris Harris, again, corners, not as, as there's not as there's more risk associated with corner than safety, because you, if you're a corner, you can either play outside or inside. And there, there is not a lot of, uh, you know the positions are so much different that that oftentimes you you try to cast an outside guy as an inside guy or as, as the Broncos did this past season uh an inside guy as an outside guy and you can get uh you know things to happen that are you know not quite as um robust right and mm-hmm. Har- you know uh, Harris didn't have as good of a year this year a lot of that has to do with sort of where he played um I like it trying to think of a team for him 
this sounds this sounds silly, but I think that they'll probably do it. But I think a team like Houston could really use him. I was him. gonna say Houston, but the team you were just talking about, like the, why wouldn't the Vikings? Be well, the Vikings wouldn't do it because they literally have almost no. Like the problem is, I don't think the Vikings. I get, I get that they can't do it. Yeah, but, but like, they, wouldn't that be awesome? If, yeah, it was for sure. He he'd be a he'd be a very good slot corner. Oh, I think that'd be. I think Zimmer would would use that that talent as uh, yeah. probably as good as anyone would um he also seems like a guy that's perfect for the patriots because he's so um flexible and that's exactly what the patriots defense wants to do is they want to take guys and and you know just script the the game plan Mm -hmm. based on on each game and and the difference in the opponent but uh i'm gonna move on here and i'm gonna go uh i'm gonna stick with the passing game this is gonna shock everyone um I'm deciding between a couple of receivers here, and I think Robbie Anderson is some someone that people are interested in, but I would rather have Emmanuel Sanders. And the reason I would rather have Emmanuel Sanders, even though he's older, is that I feel a little bit better about him uh, as a teammate and as, uh, like, just I have a bigger sample of Emmanuel mm-hmm. Sanders doing the right thing, and that matters to me. I honestly don't know why he wouldn't, I wouldn't want him to stay with the Niners once again. But he's another guy that I think could be super valuable on the Ravens. I think could be super valuable on the Patriots. Mm-hmm. Even though the Patriots probably want a guy that's a little bigger, more of a downfield guy, there's no doubt that they could use him. You know, I mean, he gets, he gets open. Emmanuel Sanders is what they wanted out of Muhammad Sanu and just never got. Oh, that's you the know, thing. You know, so, and Sanders can play inside, outside. Sanu did not have that flexibility at this stage in his career. Edelman did not have that flexibility. So I like that. Um, Let me give you one more. And this probably can't happen either. But the Packers. Yeah, the Packers have set themselves up okay. But yes, uh, you know, Adams is a player that we saw is every bit the a top talent, you know, in, in this league still. And um, I mean, they just need. Yeah, they've been trying to build. You know, another set of receivers akin to the Nelson, right. Cobb, um, Gr- uh, Adams trio through the draft, and they just haven't been able to. I think he would be a nice compliment. And then uh, I'm going to go, I'm not going to take Robbie Anderson. I'm actually going to take Justin Simmons, who was probably one of the biggest snubs um, in in the, uh, the whole Pro Bowl. Uh, yeah. The all-pro voters certainly have a nice gig because if they mess up you know the pro bowl messes Messed up, up they are able to like get the guy into all pro like uh, eric kendricks and justin simmons at least second team and the, the reason that i mean he obviously goes well below harris is there's just a we don't know as much about him obviously he's had one really good season uh but he's only 26 and he just made a ton of big plays on the ball he was able to play in the slot he's able yeah. to play in the box he's able to play deep and that that flexibility is awesome i if i'm the broncos i, I mean i've I don't know why you wouldn't try and keep this guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a very good point. And their defense was not the reason they sucked this year. And in fact, they no. weren't even that bad. They were seven and nine, despite starting zero and four and starting three quarterbacks during the season. Okay. For me, I'm going to go a little bit bigger here just because again, uh, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I've sufficiently stocked up the defensive backfield. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Corey Littleton, um, who is quietly one of the best linebackers in the NFL and somebody, you know, as we talked about on the two-minute drill yesterday, somebody who can, you know, 
um, I think, be a linebacker that I'm willing to buy into mm-hmm. uh, because of his ability, his range, his ability to make plays in space. Uh, he, he's a decent pass rusher. So, you know, so um, the issue is, is, as people have written about, his run defense grade is not great, but run defense doesn't matter all that much. It's more of a product of the players in front of you. So Look at you being diplomatic with your use of does yeah. not matter. Um, and so I like him as, as a linebacker there. I'm trying to think of the teams that could really use one, um, uh, team like Kansas city would be come to my mind. Anthony Hitchens has been a disappointment. They, they, they traded for former first round pick Darren Lee, who's now been a healthy scratch in a number of games for them from the jets. Uh, he'd be terrific. Um, yeah, I like it. And then I'm going to go with, uh, Hunter Henry, the tight end from the, Los Angeles Chargers of Anaheim, um, you know, if he co- if he returns to the the Chargers in you know in 2020, he may be catching passes from Tom Brady, uh, <laughs> but uh, I think anybody you know he's going to be undervalued because of his lack of production because of his injuries. Um, but generally speaking, tight ends tend to age later. We see some of the better years from tight ends uh, once they get into their second you know deal, and oftentimes it's with different teams. And he could be a guy that, you know, for example, the Patriots go after if they want to keep Brady and, and sort of build an offense around a tight end again. Interesting. The reason I didn't take Hunter Henry earlier is that just to me, there's so much value in the draft. I mean, you look at a guy like George Kittle, who is, you know, fifth mm-hmm. round pick. Um, all right. I am going to um, take Robbie Anderson because of the value at the receiver position and he's a guy that can get downfield and that's super valuable Mm -hmm. and i would i don't know why the the jets honestly wouldn't try to keep him but he's another guy who in my opinion the patriots could could leverage um because he can get downfield and that's something they obviously don't have i keep putting receivers on the patriots but uh i think that makes a ton of sense and then the with the last pick or no that was the last pick yeah, that was the last pick. All right. Uh, I think I, I think the the reason Robbie Anderson doesn't play with the, stay with the Jets is because much like you know somebody like Brad Childress used to be the coach from Minnesota, there are some coaches who think that their schemes are to supersede players and can't tell the difference between a guy as talented as Robbie Anderson and a guy who's not as talented as Robbie Anderson. True. So he might just let him go because he thinks he can plug and play anybody into that scheme. I like it. Uh, you want to talk quarterbacks real quick? quarterbacks uh sure tell me the like the mat the place because there's a ton of them i mean we assume drew Brees has come back to the saints but then you've got i mean you've obviously got brady you've got bridgewater you've got Tannehill, you got your boy flamus pick put one on one team uh wow um that's a good one uh let me put Bridgewater on the Bears. Ooh. I, I was going to put Bridgewater on the Colts. Okay. N- now with Joe Brady in in, in place in Carolina, I don't want to I don't want to kill Cam Newton's legacy there. I I m- my hope is that he they give him one year, right? Very similar to how we've seen sort of other coaches give uh, you know incumbent quarterbacks uh, a year, but. Who's a quarterback that wouldn't succeed under Joe Brady? I don't know because Joe Brady is probably going to, I mean, he's going to run a lot of the stuff that he learned from his time at the Saints. Yeah. Obviously, that was successful at LSU. 
And all of those tenants of that offense are going to work great in that in the NFL. The question is the guys that have always succeeded in that system. I mean, Joe Burrow was incredibly accurate. Drew Brees was incredibly accurate. The one thing that Cam Newton doesn't have is that pinpoint accuracy. Yep. And so my question with the Joe Brady thing, and, and to be fair, so I went on Carolina radio the morning that he was signed. They're like, you know, what do you think about Joe Brady? I was like, what do you mean? I mean, there's no chance you're going to get this guy. I, you know, yeah, they, so they, cause I had heard the day before that teams had inquired about him as an OC and were told you've got no shot. And, uh, I said, I would have, I, you know, I told him on the radio, I was like, I would have signed this guy yesterday if I could, but I don't think you can. Um, so it's a no brainer for me in terms of doing the, of signing him. The question is, and I think the answer is yes, but the question is, depending on what quarterback he has there, and if it's Cam Newton, does he try to do, does he try to make him do the things Joe Burrow does? Cause my, I don't think so. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I think Joe Burrow's got good athleticism, uh, accurate, but not great arm. And, you know, he, in some sense, he does take hits the way that Cam does, but Cam is different as a thrower. And which is why I think of, I don't even think Jameis would be a good uh, threat there. I do think somebody like Bridgewater or somebody who has like sort of more of a, more of a, I I wouldn't say a noodle, but somebody who is more of an accurate, but not, you know, terrific downfield player the thing that carolina has that you know lsu had is guys that can catch the ball and make plays after the catch you know jamar chase justin jefferson for lsu but then you look at carolina you have um uh samuel and you have uh, dj moore dj moore one of the better young receivers in the nfl a good tight end in uh uh greg olson should he return and obviously mccaffrey out of the backfield i think it sets up pretty nicely for them it does. I have one other scenario that I want to float by you that I okay. think is kind of crazy. So the Saints had a kind of ugly finish to the season. Taysom Hill probably should have played more. I think it's a lot of smoke, but Sean Payton loves Taysom Hill. Like he loves Taysom Hill. Okay. So let's say Teddy goes somewhere else. Maybe the Colts or the Panthers. And uh, let's say that Phillip Rivers is not going back to the Chargers. And maybe things get a little frosty in New Orleans, and they decide, hey, we kind of want to go with Taysom Hill, the next Steve Young. Breeze goes back to, Breeze goes back the, to the Chargers. Back wow. to back to Cali and goes back to the Chargers. Start, I, finishes what he or, you know finishes what he started there. I I don't. I mean, it's obviously a long shot, but it's just a scenario that I think would be interesting. It's way more interesting to me than Brady because I just don't see any way that Brady finds. A, there's no way Brady takes a step down. From an organizational standpoint, I just can't see that happening. Mm-hmm. And the only place that is that has a, a good enough reputation from a team building standpoint and a culture, I think, is the Colts. But I can't. There's no. I, we've been to Indianapolis. There's no way that dude is going to Indianapolis. Are you kidding me? I feel you like know how many almonds they have even in Indianapolis. You can't find an almond and an avocado within a one mile radius of each other. It's only two hours from Cincinnati, which yeah, is a right. hotbed of culture and, <laughs> of, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Any other any other crazy uh, scenarios that you've got? Um, no, I what I'm interested Keenum back to Minnesota. What so. I'm interested in is some is is. is you know what trades might be because at this time last year there was the whole we didn't sign Odell to trade him Mm. and then you know he's traded a few months later um do you think the Browns traded for him to trade him that's a good question that's a good question um yeah uh (laughs) 
So, like, who would be a trade? Who would be like a player who might get traded this offseason that we're on that like it would blow us out of the water right now? Like Zeke? No, Zeke's going nowhere. McCarthy McCarthy's never been a bell cow back coach though. It ain't about McCarthy. <laughs> that one ain't about McCarthy. When McCarthy when McCarthy spent the night at Jerry Jones' house and they were having their after dinner milk and cookies. The rub and tug. Yeah, Jerry Jerry said <laughs> Listen, Mike, there's a couple of ground rules here. The first is you get a running back. You, you turn over the files when you leave. Yeah. <laughs> All recordings are mine to own and keep. And you have a. And you keep Zeke in the backfield. you keep Zeke. Uh, no. He let DeMarco Murray go, right? There's like, a difference, though, man. There's uh, a big difference. Well, we're going to talk about the 2016 okay. draft. Uh, let's, let's talk about it right now. I will say the one guy that I think could be traded, though, is actually Odell. I could totally see that happening just because i mean it just doesn't seem to be a a great a great fit i don't know i i really i love odell as a player it's just there's a lot of things that continue Mm -hmm. he just continues to put himself in the news but lsu thing is a great example people are talking about the cash thing and all that the only thing that i come back to is with that why are you doing it on the field that to me says that you want the attention that comes with it and you should know that it's probably not going to be great attention and it's not like you're making a statement about you know freedom of speech or anything really Mm -hmm. so that that to me is the concerning piece anyways let's move on to the 2016 draft so let's just go let's read i'm going to read through the top 10 from the 2016 draft and i want your take on it and then we're going to spin it forward what are we what are we learning from the 2016 draft about this year's draft with the first pick the rams took jared goff with the second pick, the Eagles took Carson Wentz. Now, the in- interesting thing about that is both those teams traded um, you know, to select those players. With the third pick, the then San Diego Chargers took Joey Bosa, an Ohio State edge defender. With the fourth pick, the Dallas Cowboys selected your boy, Fat Zeke, from Ohio State. With the fifth pick, the Jaguars lucked into Jalen Ramsey, no longer on the team. With the sixth pick, the Baltimore Ravens took Maybe the best tackle in the NFL right now, Ronnie Stanley. Mm-hmm. With the seventh pick, the uh, 49ers took DeForest Buckner. With the eighth pick, the Titans took Jack Conklin. With the ninth pick, the Bears took Leonard Floyd. And with the tenth pick, the Giants took Eli Apple. And I'll just mention the eleventh pick because the Bucks took Vernon Hargraves. And you're probably going to mention the Bucks here in your reaction yeah, to this draft. So I wrote an article for the site. I think it goes up tomorrow. Uh, basically looking at what you would expect from a war perspective for each pick and how teams did um, relative to that in some, you know, so giving a little bit of, of credit to teams that had a lot of picks as long as they were decent and and players that uh, overcame expectations. Now, the hard part about this is that quarterbacks are generally speaking worth three or four times more value of contract more than a position player. And, and so it's clear you read that off. It gets clear the Rams and the Eagles and eventually the Cowboys won this draft because they were able to draft their franchise quarterback, the Eagles and Rams able to take those quarterbacks to the Super Bowl, uh, Eagles winning a Super Bowl. So we're going to throw those players out because let, let's, you know, and, and, you know, to some degree you throw Denver out of there too, because they drafted Paxton Lynch in the, in the bottom half of the first round. He was cheeks. Right. And then you had, you know, Christian Hackenberg by the Jets. Like, so you, in some sense, you throw all those things you out. Really just called him cheeks on the podcast. 
I just have a real hard time saying that Cheeks is a, has a negative that's connotation. True. That's true. Um, okay. So looking at this, I, I sort of, you know, you go through and rank them. And it's a really interesting insight. So, and we're not going to go through the whole ranking. You no, have to go to the website. The but the top four teams are really interesting, right? Top four teams are New Orleans, Kansas City, Atlanta, and Tennessee. A couple things here, right? The interesting thing with New Orleans, as you talked about, Sheldon Rankins was their top pick. And he's a good football player. But their second pick is really what elevated them here. Michael Thomas, a wide receiver, uh, worth about uh, four-fifths of a win this year. And he was drafted after Josh Doxson. He was drafted after Corey Coleman. He was drafted after Laquan Treadwell. And, you know, has ended up, you know, overcoming all of those players probably combined uh, to be that type of um, uh, to be that type of uh, player. So, no, that so I have two takeaways from this that I'm spinning forward into looking at this draft. The first is trade down unless you need a quarterback. And the Saints are the example of that. Mm-hmm. You just don't know enough about these players to think you're so smart that you should trade away draft uh, draft picks that give you an option to mm-hmm. take more players for drafting one player that you are that you feel way more certain about. That because the the <laughs> this massive amount of data of all these draft picks says you actually don't know. So that's my first takeaway. The second takeaway that I have is when there are good quarterbacks in the draft. People are going to go get them. Yep. And so as I look at the top five in this draft, the Bengals are going to take Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. If they don't take Joe Burrow, they're going to take Justin Herbert. Yeah. Okay, I'm just telling you right now. Yeah. Like that's the guy that, for some uncanny, weird reason, is going to make them get really excited because of the way he throws in shorts, and they're going to make yeah. you know, that move. But the second pick being with the, with the Washington Redskins, I believe... 100% that they should take Tua. It, it seems like he's going to throw in April, yeah. all those things. But I don't think they will. No. Because they believe in Dwayne Haskins, who, by the way, was a much lower pick last year. And so that opens the door for, I believe, a, a little bit of a bidding war between the Miami Dolphins and the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, and you'd hate to see it. You absolutely would. And so I believe that quarterbacks are going to go one, two, because I think Tua is that good that he deserves to be the second pick. And then all of a sudden you have this cascade effect where now Chase Young, who is, you know, going to be, I think, a great edge defender, but isn't going to make the difference that a quarterback will. is going to slip a little bit. You've got Jeff Okuda, the great uh, cornerback. And then who's the Zeke Elliott of this draft? Right. Because. If you're looking at the Cowboys right now and you go, man, if they if they just had Tony Pollard and Jalen Ramsey. They'd, they'd be a better team. Or they would have drafted Jordan Howard in that same draft. It, you know, it was a fifth-round pick for the uh, Bears. Like, I can't stress this enough. They would be a better, a much better team right now, and they'd have more cap flexibility. Yeah. Speaking of trading down, right, the Chiefs are second on this list. They did not – they traded out of the first round because – and to accumulate picks. And the great thing was, so they had a second-round pick. Their, their top pick was Chris Jones. Their third-round pick was Kai, Kai, uh Kyver Russell, who didn't even make it to week three. They cut him like three weeks into the season. And and then, but they have three fourth round picks, two fifth round picks, two sixth round picks. One of their three fourth round picks was Demarcus Robinson, who's a receiver that contributes for them. One of their fifth round picks was Tyreek Hill. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like, again, looking at this order here, taking shots at important positions. They also drafted Kevin Hogan, who quarterback from Stanford. Didn't work out for them, but like they're taking shots at valuable positions. Some of them don't work out in the Russell cornerback from Notre Dame. 
wide, two wide receivers work out, one of them in a bang-up way, uh, and probably why, you know, since this draft, they've won four consecutive AFC West titles. Atlanta, similarly, right, you look at them, they, had, they drafted Keanu Neal in the first round, uh, coverage player, Deion Jones, coverage linebacker, Austin Hooper, a tight end who's going to hit free agency and be pretty sought after, and then Devondre Campbell, a coverage linebacker. Now, they haven't had the type of team success in many reasons because a lot of these guys have been hurt sometimes, but... You know, they still you know made it to the Super Bowl in 2016 with a lot of these guys contributing. 2017, they made it to the second round of the playoffs. Like, again, a good draft. And lastly, Tennessee sort of showing it's may, it may not be about the valuable players. It might just be a huge collection of players, half of whom become starters. They had, you know, they've been 9-7 and seven every single season since this draft. Jack Conklin, Derrick Henry, Kevin Bayard, Tajay Sharp, LaShawn Sims, all guys that contribute for them. So, uh, you know, just a different way in which you sort of look at drafts and say, like, how do you win? You win by kind of like taking a lot of shots in the dark and some fail, some don't. And the ones that, that really hit are the ones that carry you. I agree. I, I, you couldn't have said it better. My my top five picks here. Here's how I think the top <laughs> five in this this draft go. Joe Burrow trade up for Tua. The Detroit Lions stay at three. They take Chase Young, who is great, but their coverage goes to crap in a couple of years. So it. it ultimately doesn't matter as much number four by the way you should go check out mike's mock draft it's mm-hmm. a little different than this number four this is my favorite pick in, of everything cd lamb goes to new york he it, daniel jones elevates himself into Jameis territory where he's just going 30 30 every year but cd lamb is a monster yeah. in that offense and then at number five i can't imagine the dolphins lose that bidding war for tua but if they do and they're stuck at five i think they probably pull the trigger on uh on your boy herbs yeah which would be crazy i i I would i would trade down in that spot um you know or take maybe an isaiah simmons or an uh you know well that that, judy or something you explain it well if you need a if you if you are at that position a trade down is probably the best if you have to take a player there quarterback's not a terrible one it's just that these particular quarterbacks you know may not be uh the strongest now big drop off some some things to learn from the bottom half of this group right the bottom five drafts in 2016, 28 was Seattle. I said that for better or worse, they yielded two starters along the offensive line in Jermaine Effetti and Joey Hunt. What it shows is that if you have a quarterback, not much matters, you know, with Seattle. Indianapolis, this was the last pre-Chris Ballard draft. Again, they drafted four offensive linemen, only one place for them anymore. Cleveland had a lot of picks, and most of them sucked. Uh, San Francisco, again, a team that's, on the doorstep of the Super Bowl right now, this was, again, their last pre-John Lynch draft, showing, again, that if you resolve the quarterback position, you get the head coach being good, and you value the right things, you can overcome terrible drafts. And their draft, I mean, they drafted Joshua Garnett in the first round, you know, Will Redmond in the third, Richard Robinson, they traded, like, immediately after. Just, is the reason that you're extending this conversation just to talk to me about this Niners draft? No, because I'm, I'm saying that is, you can overcome it. And then lastly, the Stone Woat draft, which is Tampa Bay, drafted, as you said, Vernon Hargreaves at 11, traded up in the second round for Roberto Aguayo. What's a, <laughs> what's a real-world um, analogy for trading up to draft Roberto Aguayo? Because um, I have one. Paying $100,000 for a beat-up car? Okay. I was in Vegas last week, as you know, 
and I'm walking through the shops at the Aria. Uh-huh. And first off, these are hilarious because it's just really expensive shop after really expensive shop because they want the you know the whales to come spend all their money. And there's a there's a brand called Balenciaga. Are you familiar? Nope. Okay. It's a really expensive brand that makes some interesting looking stuff. They have no joke. What is a dead stone cold copy of swim shoes with a Balenciaga like written across it for like 600, you know, 700 bucks or whatever. And I was just thinking to myself, I was like, that's probably the biggest waste. Of my, you know, it's like yeah. you, you bring like, would you rather have these swim shoes or these swim shoes that are that are eight hundred dollars more? You're like, oh, give me those. Give me the give me the Aguayo swim shoes. So give me the Aguayo. I think it's I think this is great. And, and it's good to per- put this into perspective. There are zero drafts in the history of the league other than taking a QB right where your franchise is going to be defined by that draft. So as we lead up to draft season, it's a fun time. It's a great time. But if your team happens to trade out of a pick you really wanted, it's not the end of the world. Or if your team drafts somebody that you don't like, not the end of the world. Or on the flip side, if they take a player that you absolutely love, there's no guarantee it's going to turn out the way that you think. We're on to the conference championship. You ready? Um, Let's go. All right. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is let's say you're sitting here right now. Actually, a buddy of mine uh, texted me uh, during the the divisional games he's like is anyone good to bet on to to win the super bowl right yes and we have talked about this a lot over the past couple of weeks like who would you know like let's look forward in the future but right now looking forward in the future isn't that far down the road and so the prices on futures right now don't make sense because it's not you're not waiting that long yep so you're almost better you're better off just saying let me bet a little now and let me bet a little on the Super Bowl. Yeah, there's not a ton of value in the like. There's not a ton of value in the favorites right now, and in the underdogs, it's like yes, there's not like we would make Green Bay more like four plus four hundred, where you know if you look at Bet Online, they're plus seven hundred. Tennessee, similarly, you have them at plus five sixty two. You know they're plus seven fifty, but you know and we do this calculation. We go to pff.com. Um, basically, if you just do like a mechanical parlay where you you roll it over you actually get a lot more value uh, on both of these underdogs than uh, than not. And you give yourself the freedom in this case, right, to there's, – there's not going to be – and this is why futures are often valuable. There's not going to be anything that happens in the next week that's going to alter the course of this schedule to a point where having something now, having that option now, is going to be all that much more worth it. We calculated, for example, with Green Bay um, – for the money line rollover to work, the Chiefs just have to beat the Titans more than four percent of the time. So it's like, I don't know. Uh, it, yeah, Derrick Henry's been really like if Matt well. Moore were to face Tennessee this weekend. Oh yeah, it would be more. They'd have obviously a much more than four percent chance to win. They might even be. Fa- I don't think they'd be favored. But but here's here's the big takeaway yeah. that I have from this, which is if you didn't do this this year, think about this for next year. Yep. This is why you bet futures ahead of time, yep. because so right now. Here's the situation I'm in. I had I had Super Bowl futures on the Niners and the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. I also had the Saints. Uh, I believe I had the Falcons. <laughs> but of course you did, right? Of course. <laughs> but I'm sitting in a really great spot because the two favorites to go to the Super Bowl, I have great odds, and you have them. Yes, far better odds than they currently are. Far better. So now what I'm doing is I'm looking to hedge in particular games, and and I can do the. So I can get value on a Green Bay money line 
as a hedge for my, you know, for one of my bets, basically. Mm-hmm. But also, if I win that, I'm getting essentially this better than current future value bet because I can roll it over yeah. and also be hedging in all likelihood against the Chiefs. You end up in a situation where you aren't hedging out of necessity, but instead hedging out of that there's actually value because you shouldn't hedge unless unless, like your financial situation is such that you need the money. You should never hedge a bet unless the, unless the bet that you're about to place has positive expected value. So, you know, the only reason you would, you know, for example, if you had LSU, you know, this past week at a, at a good price for a future, the only way you would have bet Clemson is if you actually liked them. Um, if you had Clemson like we did, you would not have bet LSU to hedge because the LSU minus 60, I don't care if they won or not, was a bad bet. So, like, you just you just take your lumps, right? You don't put to uh, a negative EV you know, thing to hedge your bet off. And the same thing's here true. Like, we, we are not that high on Green Bay, but we do think the spread in, in Sunday's game is a bit high, right? So, you know, and I don't even think that the money line is is all that great of a bet so much as the like literally the point spread because there's a significant fraction you could win the San Francisco future and you know and win the point spread bet with Green Bay. Like yep. that's great. That's a great position to be in. Okay. So we've got Green Bay going back to San Francisco. Seven and a half point underdog, which is very interesting because Minnesota was a seven point underdog, obviously got, you know, their doors kicked in. Yep. Um and the question, the, the first question that I ask myself is, okay, I think Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. Yep. Now, say what you will about family relationships, about ability to trim their beard. Unbelievable. About uh, choices in significant others. Put that all aside. I think Aaron Rodgers on the football field is the guy I'd rather have. But I'd rather have the San Francisco offense. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have the environment on offense that the, that the Niners have. So the question to me is like, I know how important the quarterback is. Am I overrating it? Because actually the result of what he does is much less for the mm-hmm. Packers than it is for the Niners. And, and is that worth me being scared off of seven and a half? Yeah, I, I, I don't. I mean, there's a significant issue with the Packers offense, which is that they have one guy to throw to. Uh, and and possibly one and a half if you count Jimmy Graham. And the 49ers, unlike Seattle, are going to take full advantage of that. Uh, and, and do, you think they can, do you think the Seahawks can cut Ugo Amadi in time <laughs> for the Niners to get him, to put him in the slot on the most important Stop. down against the only player? You're giving that, me PTSD. The only player that the Packers have thrown to all game? You're giving me PTSD. Right. And, and uh, Less than 100 coverage snaps. He's 5'2". Five two, and all the Rodgers had to do was, yeah. Great so, throw. Um, but and and the Niners did a great job of suffocating, um, uh, you know, Rodgers in that game. It, it took until the fifth offensive possession for the Packers to have consecutive no Packers to have more than one successful play on a drive uh, in that game. So they were you know, and there were a lot of things that could have gone either way, but ultimately San Francisco you know buried the Packers in that game. Um, I thought that, you know, I thought that Jimmy G played fine. He made enough throws. He wasn't perfect. Uh, and that's really, if you're backing the Packers here, you have to, you know, you have to bank on, you have to bank on the fact that at times Jimmy G, when he faces pressure or is in a big situation, he does not necessarily give you the accuracy. He does not necessarily give you the safety that you need to, to be a, you know, more than a touchdown favorite. Okay. 
if Jimmy G throws a ball right at a linebacker, do the do the Niners have are the Niners covering this? Because they, he did that twice against Minnesota, mm-hmm. and they covered yep. easily. And the question that I have is, like, can he still get can he still get away with that, and, and they cover? Or if he does that and he does it once, does that mean you know your Packer you feel great about the Packers covering seven and a half? I don't know. I I because I think Minnesota was like next level inept the other day, I and agree. and I think if you run the game back. They probably still co- they probably cover the spread fifty four percent of the time or more, um, but ultimately it didn't work that time. Um, so <clears throat> I don't know i I think it significantly enhances your opportunity, um, and I think that the Packers will have a better opportunity to move the ball. The you know there was a lot of like sequencing things that caused them to have issues in the first matchup. I don't think will be the case now. Uh, so I don't know I. I don't think Jimmy G is – I think Jimmy G's environment puts him on par with Rodgers, um, but Rodgers', Rodgers ceiling is, is significant here and something you have to take into consideration. I, I agree. Uh, that game against San Francisco was, was a clinic as far as all the things that, went, that scare you about the Packers' offense came to fruition. They, were, they just don't have anyone other than Devontae Adams who is winning consistently. And the Niners are in a pretty good situation to actually not put Ugo Amadi out there yeah. on Devontae Adams and therefore make Aaron Rodgers hold on to the ball longer and not be able to, to put yeah. the ball where he wants to, in which case they can, you know, they can take him down. Um, what was interesting about that game was he was only under pressure on 14 of 41 dropbacks, but the Niners had... 25 pressures Mm -hmm. so what that tells you is okay when they did get pressure it was all all over him yeah right and they sacked him seven times i believe and that's that's the type of thing that if he's going to hold on to the ball for that long he's not gonna be able to get it out of his hands quickly and he was able to to do that against seattle and when he held on to it for a while guys were coming open that's what worries you about it at seven and a half though here, here's the thing. If you just look at the way that things have played out over the past few weeks, San Francisco three and a half point favorites in Seattle. Even if you liberally give out a three and a half point home field advantage to Seattle, that would imply that San Francisco seven points better than Seattle. Green Bay was three and a half or four and a half point favorites closing line last week. Even if you liberally give a point to home field or to a buy in the playoffs and three and a half point home field advantage, that would put Seattle and Green Bay on par with each other. So that number at most, in my opinion, should be about seven. And that's kind of where we have it. Seven and a half gives you that plus the the key number of seven there. So I just think from a pure numbers perspective, we're going to talk about the teaser in a second here. From a pure numbers perspective, you're just making a good bet if you bet Green Bay. Here are all the things that I'm adding up. I I do believe that Jimmy G, true to himself, makes some great throws, but also throws at least one. Plus, George Kittle is injured. Like, he's he's not as – he's – He'll probably play and he'll probably be effective, but there's a significant chance that he's just not the the best tight end in league history on Sunday. Okay, agree to disagree. I think Jimmy G throws one to a uh, to a linebacker. The second thing is we overvalue the Niners' home field advantage, particularly against the Packers. I, I think it's it will be no more exacerbated than it will be in this yeah. game. So I don't believe they should be getting the full uh, home field. 
And then the second, uh, the last thing is that the Packers are a talented team, just like the Niners are. And in games like this, you talk about this the, the other day, which is like superstars matter. And they have superstars at the right positions. Mm-hmm. And so while the Niners are a better team, the Packers have, I think, just as many superstars that can make a huge play um, in this game and turn it around. So seven and a half, I, I will be taking the Packers. Yeah. Um, awesome. So here's another question. So we like that. We like that pick uh, you know, quite a bit. Um, Do you let's move on. Do you want to move? Are you ready to talk about your Chiefs? <clears throat> sure. Yeah, let's talk about Kansas City. This have number you, have you packed yet? Nope. You haven't. No. Do you know what the weather's going to be like? Uh, I I think I can get there. Hold on. So while you're while you're checking, I'm flying to DC this week, and it was 70 there last Saturday. It's going to be like 32. Yeah. This 22 Saturday. with with 11 mile per hour winds. Now I will be at, top. I will be in a suite, so I'm. I'm oh, I think I'm. I think I'm good. Poor guy. Okay, so this one is it now seven? It is seven. It's been bet down a little bet bit. Bet down, and this this surprises me a little bit. Uh, does it surprise you? Uh, yeah. I you know the thing about it is is you know the the Chiefs finished as a five point favorite in Tennessee the last time they played. Now that was the Chiefs' last loss, and. You know, so if you add the six points for home field advantage, we'd be back at eleven now, and now we're seeing four. So has has the have these numbers adjusted four points? I think there's a lot of overreaction to Tennessee beating a Baltimore team that many thought was the, was the league's best. Let me say this: the, so the last time Tennessee and Kansas City played was when Pat Mahomes had just come back from injury, and Mahomes was awesome. Mm-hmm. Over eight yards per attempt from a clean pocket, he made that incredible jump pass. I believe it was to Hardman, um, mm-hmm. and he, I think he took it and made it like 30-22 or something like that. Yep. He was awesome. So was Ryan Tannehill. But here's the difference between these two guys. Ryan Tannehill in that game, I have it here. Ryan Tannehill in that game, he threw, was it 15 passes? 19 passes. He, Ryan Tannehill has not yet had to be a volume thrower of the football. He hasn't mm. had to drop back much. In this in these playoffs, I don't think you can of the, the way that the Chiefs play the game of football. You're going to have to drop back and throw the ball. Mm-hmm. And as we talked about with Ryan Tannehill, he takes sacks at the highest rate in the league. Do you know who takes it at one of the lowest rates? Pat Mahomes, Mahomes. which surpri- which is so it's what makes him. We talked about when you drafted quarterbacks. The difference between Pat Mahomes and Russell Wilson isn't the high end of variance. They can both make amazing plays. It's that Mahomes just refuses to make negative ones. Mm-hmm. The dude is supremely active from a clean pocket. He scrambles, he takes hits, but he does not take sacks. And to me, that is the difference in this game. When you increase the volume, I have supreme confidence in Mahomes to continue making plays. With Tannehill, he's been good at, okay, I only have to throw you know four deep shots and five other passes, and they only have to be over the middle off play action. Great. When that isn't possible, I have a lot more confidence in in Mahomes, I actually think at seven, I would lean towards the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. But I think my favorite bet here is the over. Yeah, and we've actually seen this tick down a little bit. It went up, you know, as the as the week started, all the way up to fifty three. Um, uh, from you know fifty one and a half is where we I see it on Monday. It's all the way up to fifty three. 
I see it some places now at 52 and a half, which you can get. You're, you're over the key number of 51 at this point, so really you're not making a numbers play as much as you're making a, you know, the Chiefs offense is the third most efficient in the NFL since Tannehill took over. Titans are second highest. You, mean, you, yeah, yeah. You, you said Chiefs, but you meant Titans. No, no, Chiefs are third. Titans are second. So in the in the in the you day, you're looking at the Chiefs since Tannehill took yeah, over, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is an interesting way to look at it. Well, I'm so it goes Baltimore, ten, Baltimore, Tennessee, Kansas City during the stretch of time when right. you know every team had their starting quarterback, and so these are two great offenses in the NFL from that perspective. So you're looking at it that way. Uh, I don't hate it at all. Um, when I look at uh, you know the the ways in which Kansas City can win here, the Titans don't really have like if the Titans want to clamp down on the tight end in Kelsey after last week, much in the way that they did against Mark Andrews, we're going to see a lot of you know we're going to see a lot of plays from Hill and Watkins. If they try to you know do what the the, the Texans did and you know shut down Hill, you're going to see you know you're going to see Kelsey. Damian Williams scored three touchdowns again for the second consecutive postseason game for him. Like they just come at you in so many different ways. And the thing we've always talked about with the Titans, which I think will hold true here, is they can't rush the passer. Can't rush the passer. They have a, a really below average set of talent on the defensive side of the ball, mm-hmm. which has yet to be exposed because they've gotten out to these big leads. And here with Kansas City, I just think all of those guys are going to be able to make plays. And Andy Reid. I want to. I want so badly for Andy Reid to, to make this happen, but I am. I really believe what you said the other day, which is maybe it's clicked for Andy mm-hmm. because when they started scoring, they didn't stop. They just kept throwing the ball, and part of it is that to their own benefit, they suck at running the ball. Yeah, and it doesn't matter. They ran play action left and right in that game. It does not matter. Yep. It gives the, it gives Mahomes an extra two tenths of a second. That's bad for the opposing team. If Mahomes gets a tenth of a second more, right? Who cares if the linebackers get fooled? I don't. Yep. If you get one defensive lineman to be a beat slower, it's worth it. Yeah, Mahomes is going to roast you, and I think that that Andy Reid is going to try and score sixty points in this game. What what held them back against the Patriots? Right, they just couldn't score enough. There's no, it's they can't leave it up to their defense. They just can't. They they um, th- yeah. They just ran out of time in basically the last effort, right? And and you know we've we've got after you know we we bet two Chiefs overs during the second half of the season. The first one was the LA Chargers Monday Night Football game that uh, you know they took their foot off the pedal, right? They scored twenty four in the first three quarters, none in the second half. They score, you know, and then the New England game was sort of the same thing. The game was going over at halftime. Once they got a comfortable enough lead, they sat on it, almost lost the football game. I think that the Houston game spooked Andy enough. I think losing to the Titans not only this season, but also I believe the past four times they've played them will will make it such that they, you know, put the foot on the pedal. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think that they relent at all in this game. To me, the only question is whether the Titans can score enough. It's not whether Derrick Henry can get over 180 yards. No. What's his prop at? What's his total? Do you know? I haven't seen any uh, available yet? yet. Yeah. What do you think it is? You think it's 100? Oh no! I think it's like 109.5. I think people are gonna just be yeah. Unreal. It's gonna be like the NF- the the college football championship props were like for some of those players like Jefferson and Chase and all those guys. Would you rather try to tackle Derrick Henry or Lamar Jackson? Uh. 
Derrick Henry? Because like you're not, I'm not catching Lamar Jackson. Like that's a dumb question, you know. Like <laughs> I, I, I could at least like just like dive at the guy's legs. You could, if you could sacrifice yeah, your yeah, yeah. your ribs, yeah, I could dive at the guy's legs. He's not making me miss. He might run me over, but then there's also a chance that he trips. That that's what you're hoping for. Yeah, that's what you're hoping for. Um. Okay, so. We do need to pick a a lock of the week here. Yeah. And I, it really comes down to, I think, Green Bay getting seven and a half or taking a, a teaser angle. Yes, and I think that this is a good teaser week. Here's the, here's the thing. And we actually wrote up a worse teaser than this could be. Now that Kansas City's at minus seven, you can get them at minus one in the teaser San Francisco can be teased down to one and a half. Here's the thing. Like the way that the betting markets are constructed, you don't even have to have really any insight on this game other than a knowledge of basic probability to, to find that this teaser has expected, you know, value that's positive. Um, going, you know, sort of going into, la- you know, last night we had Kansas City was minus 350. Tennessee was plus 280. Same thing for Green Bay and, and, and uh, the San Francisco 49ers. So if you look at those, you use the implied probabilities. You take, let's say, a conservative route and say that 2% of NFL games land on one. This is still over the 52.4% that you need to break even. Now, you you add a little bit more context in the fact that Tennessee-Kansas City totals 53. Games that are over 53 don't land on one point very often. You can lower that and give yourself an even bigger edge. Um, And... And games that are line seven and a half don't land on one very much either, right? These are not particularly low uh, spreads. Like it's it, there's an edge there, and I and I do think like and that's independent of any handicapping of how good the teams are. That's literally just using the market uh, and teasing through key numbers of seven and three. Okay, so here's my question: Would you rather sit here and wait for both games to finish, or would you rather just have to sweat through the nightcap? I want I. Well, I I kind of like the idea of being able to, I, I like the idea of being able to root for Kansas City because I think that they win this game. Okay. Um and then I and I like the kind of middle that we sort of have a situation here with with Green Bay plus seven and a half and then the the teaser leg which would be San Francisco minus the one and a half. So I I personally uh, I like the teaser because I think that both of these teams, I think San Francisco and Kansas City are significantly better than than their counterparts. Um, more than I like, you know, because they're, they're, we've seen this Green Bay game happen before. You know, Aaron Rodgers proves everybody wrong we, uh, one week. He's trashed the next week, right? Like, uh, Can I tell you something? What's that? I don't know if this is the fan in me. I think it's, I don't think it is because I'm pretty good at divorcing myself yeah. from fandom. I am, I would be very nervous. Laying a point and a half with the Niners. I'm just nervous about winning that game yeah. if I'm the Niners. Okay. I'm just terrified. Okay. Okay. I, there's, there's so many ways that I think this game starts off where the, the Packers can get out to a lead. And similar, I, while I do think that the Niners are way better at potentially coming back and winning the game than, say, the Ravens are. Mm-hmm. I don't have that same faith that I do in the Chiefs or the Seahawks with Russell Wilson mm-hmm. making that type of a comeback. Yeah. So that worries me. I'm nervous. 
Mm-hmm. So that that that's my that's my pushback. But I do, I do really like the the fact that you're taking advantage of the market. Obviously, is good. I mean, it's really instructive. I don't know how many people are out there that that don't yeah. like kind of understand where this is coming from. But just thinking about the way that NFL games work out and like, I'll just go look at the differences in yeah. in scores and. Um, and it gives you a, a basic sense of why teasing from okay. seven down through a couple of key numbers and four and three and all the way down to one is useful um, just by the way that the scoring well, works. And again, it's, it's, we're talking about very, very, very small differences between making a good bet and a bad bet. And so, like, we've seen people, you know, tease through. So let's say the spread is you have a six-point teaser – and you tease a game from two and uh, you know, let's say your team is minus two and a half, and you tease them all the way to plus six yeah, and yeah. A, or plus three and a half. In a playoff game, there is a zero percent chance the game ends on a on a I'll zero. Yep. So you're you're sacrificing one point, which depending upon which point it is, is is you know a percentage point at at at, le- at least, right? And like when I t- when I say there's an edge here, I'm saying like the break even, uh, you know, the the percentage here is 52.8, somewhere to 53.8. Like that's not all that big, but it's drastic. If you take that down to 51.7 or something, you no longer are breaking even long term. And so like you have to know, okay, when I tease through the seven, that's a significant amount of games. You know, eight, you know, seven to ten percent, depending upon what you think it is. And then through three, which is another, depending upon where the spread is, again, significant, talking about 5% of games. Now you're starting to accumulate value, and that's, you know, and that's where this thing is. Not, yep. not every point has, Do you has have any more to say? Do you have any more to say about it not being that big but also being drastic at the same time? Not being – well, so like – I'm not, kidding. It was a joke. Nominally, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, all right. Super Bowl matchups. Um all right, wait. So we're going teaser. I think we're going teaser. Yeah. Cool. I'm with it. Tease them down. Kansas City, you can get at minus one. San Francisco down to one and a half. And uh, start praying. Get on your knees and beg. <laughs> All right. The, the one matchup that gives me anxiety is anyone versus Tennessee. Oh. Which is not a shot at Tennessee. It's just like... They're not as exciting of a team as the Kansas City Chiefs, as the San Francisco 49ers, as the Green Bay Packers. It's certainly not as exciting as the Kansas City Chiefs. So let's start with the Tennessee options. If Tennessee faces San Francisco, the look-ahead line is Tennessee plus five. Mm-hmm. My gut there is to say I don't, I don't really understand why Tennessee would be getting fewer points than Green Bay in this situation. You know, like I get Careful. that. It, I get that it's in Miami, but you know, I think Niners fans will still travel way better than Titans fans, and like San Francisco's sixty miles away from Santa Clara, anyways. Yeah. So that's my initial gut reaction there. Your thoughts on that matchup? Yeah, I, um, I still can't. I still can't see why Tennessee would be getting is all that significantly different than Green Bay. Um, yeah, let me. I, I would take San Francisco. Yeah. Minus five in that situation. Yep. Um, okay, the other one. Green Bay, Tennessee. Tennessee, look ahead, would be getting two. I think you have to take the points of the Titans. Really? Yeah. 
I think that I think that the the Titans are just more explosive than the Packers. The Packers are, you know, obviously like I think the Packers are just more plain. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, Rodgers obviously has it in him to be to make consistent throws and the defense is pretty good. But Tennessee can just like Tennessee's offense is just more explosive than Green Bay's. And, and, and over the long haul, I think that, you know, getting points with a more explosive offense is, is worth worthwhile. And they're pretty good at scheming defense. Like we saw them last week scheme a pretty good defense for Lamar Jackson. You know, they gave up a lot of yards, but ultimately did not give up the, the crucial plays. Yeah. But that was fluky, man. Yeah, they schemed. They schemed good that defense. Was fluky. They got a they drop sch- pass interception. They schemed good defense against the Patriots. They've schemed. I don't know. They're not like. Here's the thing that you're gonna. They're not talented defensively, but I do think they give themselves a chance. Okay. Ryan Tannehill returning to the crime scene in Miami. In the Super Bowl, you're gonna hear all week about experience. Yeah. At le- but I do have faith in Aaron Rodgers not getting overwhelmed by the moment. Now, maybe the rest of his team does, and you know maybe Devontae Adams never gets open, and it's a disaster. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm going to keep coming back to this. If both guys have to drop back 35 times, I just know more about Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, that's true. Knowing, but then, but like, is there is there an element to that that's you know more about you know sort of like the 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 width of his distribution. Cause like, I think Tannehill can, I think the issue is, is if you're laying points and Tennessee has one of their offensive performances where they just boat race you like, is like to me, like that's a significant risk. Okay. Agree to disagree. Who's um, who would you like? Tennessee's clearly a very, Tennessee's a, an inferior team to San Francisco. Yes. But, but offensively, I think that their ceiling is similar to San Francisco's. Stop it. Not their average. Not Stop their it. average, Stop but their ceiling. Stop it. Let's move on. San Francisco, or sorry, uh, Green Bay, Kansas City. Kansas City, a six-point favorite is the look ahead here. Biggest um, spread of the four. Biggest spread of the four. and a Rematch um, of Super Bowl one. And a rematch from this season when Mahomes did not play in Kansas City. Almost pulled it out with Matt Moore. One of Rodgers' better games of the year. Yeah, what's your what's your gut reaction to minus six? Uh, I think you I think you lay it with Kansas City. Yeah, I'm on the same page. Yeah, I'm on the same page. It doesn't feel right because Aaron Rodgers is a legend, regardless of how you right. feel about whether he can shave his beard or not. Jeez. But uh, he, I was doing that on purpose, right? He he looked he looked every bit the Wisconsin part. I didn't. I don't understand. I mean. You, you just can't. You're thinking about football so much that you can't. Yeah. Like, wash your face. I don't know. It's weird. I love Aaron Rodgers, though. You know that. Mm-hmm. I've said that many times. Yeah. I, people seem to think I hate the Packers. I I bet on Aaron Rodgers so many freaking times. It's yeah. ridiculous. All right. Uh, San Francisco, Kansas City. Kansas City favored by two and a half, as I, I believe, predicted. Right? It would be less than three. Mm-hmm. Give myself a pat on the back there. At two and a half, I would take. Kansas City. Yeah, as a, as a both an emotional hedge. Oh yeah. And a, oh, you and know a, it. And a and a hedge, like literally, I guess. Uh, yeah, I I I would take Kansas City. They're getting more because again, the Chiefs will never be out of the game. The Niners' defense, great as it is, will not matter against the Chiefs' offense that good. And 
So you're going to ask Jimmy Garoppolo to outscore Patrick Mahomes, which nope. is which is not a, a, a bet I want to make. In fairness, that's not what you're doing. You're asking Kyle Shanahan. To out, Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo to outscore Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes, which is still, I think, a mismatch, even though it does become closer when you add in Look, Shanahan. The cool thing about Shanahan, and also maybe to his own detriment, is that he's the cockiest motherfucker on the yeah, planet. Yeah. This dude is, I love Kyle Shanahan. He can't talk, he can't go more than like two words without saying an f bomb, mm-hmm. which I love. Mm-hmm. And um, he's also a big Little Wayne fan, mm-hmm. which I also love. I just think Kyle Shanahan as cool. So Andy Reid is cool in that old football guy way. Yeah. Kyle Shanahan is the equal amount of coolness on the other side of the spectrum, just yeah. like the young football guy way. So I actually think it's not that big of a mismatch. But I would um, I would definitely take Kansas City minus two and a half because that way I cannot lose. Um, unless the Chiefs win by one, which, as we just talked about, or Chiefs win by two or one, which is probably not that likely. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, do you have any stories from Cincy Y for this week? No. I think we went 0 and my teams went 0 and 3 yesterday. So, um, all on the court? On the court, yeah. I thought I was, I was, uh, decently shooting the three. But I wasn't moving around great. I'm a little bit, you know, I'm still recovering from the holidays. Uh, but I, I, you know, and then just bad passing. Just just a bad day yesterday playing basketball. I I have a, um, I have one story. Uh, and it's an unfortunate one. Oh, no. I don't lock the locker in the Cincy Y. You're different. You just take your stuff with you. But I put my clothes in there. And I figure, look, if you're going to steal my clothes... Like, may yeah. God have mercy on your soul. Yeah, I will hunt you down and I will, I will mess you up. Well, not really, but I would, I would ask the Y to close the doors and I would go search everyone. But I don't. That's never happened to me. But what I do is I put my AirPods case in my p- pant pocket. Well, I forgot. I forgot about this. Yes. And someone stole my AirPods case out of my pant pocket. Now I had my AirPods in my. Ears, so they ended up getting a case without the AirPods, which I believe is the far less valuable piece of equipment that they were looking for. And um, and I just thought to myself, you must be so desperate to be in the Cincy Y going through lockers, taking people's <laughs> AirPod yeah. cases. Uh, so I guess it should I get a lock? Is that what I should do, or should I just find a gym that is less raggedy? No, I think you just get a bag like you have a small bag right and that's what i did is i got a new case and i put like a little uh silicone yeah, yeah. cover on it so i can just throw it in my gym bag but yep. I, i'm not mad i'm just disappointed i i didn't realize because i don't have airpods i didn't realize that the case had such power but you're absolutely right i mean what well, charges them charges them so i've been walking around bumming charges off austin I, i've never felt more despondent homeless all right we'll be back on uh sunday night I'll be in, yeah, I'll be remote, but it'll be a lot of fun. Hopefully you're somewhat sober. I'll be sober. No chance. You have no voice. You'd be hammered. Peace out, guys.